Now you truly can rewrite your future with these powerful prevention techniques. Going from feeling hopeless in your health to feeling confident. To bring information and unleash the potential of our listeners to ask the right questions. It's my responsibility to take control of my own health. Welcome to the Ask Why Medicine podcast. Hi again, listeners of the Ask Why Medicine podcast. This is Whit Wilkerson, and I want to continue from our last session talking about breathing and airway and sleep disorders and how important they are for all of us that are in the health profession and all of us that are lay people and parents and spouses to be thinking about um, in our families and in our communities. In our last session, we talked about children. And we discussed how when children are not able to breathe through their noses properly because typically of allergies, sometimes developmental issues in their nose, that they'll convert to mouth breathing and that this mouth breathing then allows the dirty air that's filtered through the nose to bypass the filtration system and go right to the back of the throat, often overwhelming the tonsillar tissues, which become swollen and inflamed and sometimes infected and the adenoid tissues right above the tonsils. And that can compromise breathing even further, such that when a child is mouth breathing at night and really not able to breathe without great labor, um, it can affect the whole respiratory system. It can cause the fight or flight response in our bodies that says, hey, we're choking to death here, to cause us to be aroused from a deeper sleep to a light sleep and sometimes completely awake and can disrupt so many functions within our body that include uh, dysregulation of hormones in our body, the release of stress hormones like cortisol that can cause the heart rate to go up, that can ultimately over time cause insulin resistance that can lead to type 2 diabetes, that can lead to cardiac arrhythmias, that can lead to issues that have to do with brain health and overall health in general. So this is a huge subject in children but it doesn't stop there. Usually it just starts there. And so I want to talk about adults um, in this session. And let's begin with another important group, and that is young adults. There is a very common uh, thing that we see in dentistry called TMD or temporomandibular disorders, which has to do with being uncomfortable in the facial region, often because of clenching or grinding or jaw joint pain or discomfort or clicking or popping, headaches sometimes waking up in the morning. These are very common symptoms that that we in dentistry call temporomandibular disorders or TMD or TMJ. And uh, often I have found in my practice, which focuses on this subject, that these young adults we see are often young females, anywhere from 18 to 25 years old, often very fit, Um, coming in and saying, I just feel terrible all the time. I realize that I do clench or grind my teeth sometimes. I wake up in the morning, my muscles are hurting, my neck feels bad, my head doesn't feel good. Sometimes headaches are present on waking. And so that's been a subject that has been very important to us in dentistry for a long time. In recent years, as we've been learning more about airway and breathing, It's been very interesting to see things coming together in our understanding. Dr. Christian Gimeno, who is the head of um, the Stanford Sleep Center in Palo Alto, California, the most famous sleep center in the world, has done an incredible volume of work with young children, 
with young adults and older adults as well. Dr. Gimeno coined a term he called upper airway resistance syndrome. Upper airway resistance syndrome means uh, that you have difficulty breathing, particularly in sleep, in such a way that you may stop breathing for a short period of time, but it's not full-blown sleep apnea where you stop breathing and, and, and you can go on for prolonged periods of time, multiple times over and over all night. Um, but these um, upper airway resistance syndrome cases, which there are millions, are often seen in younger, thinner people that experience severe fatigue and poor sleep, but don't have full-blown sleep apnea. It's kind of the precursor to sleep apnea. They can have multiple partial uh, breathing obstructions, um, but they can be aroused from deep sleep to lighter sleep as a result of this. And interestingly, in one study Dr. Gimeno did, he found that in 30 subjects, patients that he studied where they did a sleep study and they were diagnosed with upper airway resistance syndrome, all 30 reported chronic fatigue. 28 said their sleep was not refreshing. I think 26 reported their sleep was disrupted. They would wake up at night. 17 out of the 30, more than half, reported that they frequently woke up with morning headaches. And almost all of them said that their daytime performance seemed impaired. Well, when you think about what we think of as the signs and symptoms of temporomandibular disorder, sore muscles in the morning, clenching and grinding, morning headaches, sore joints, um, things like this, if you were to ask Dr. Gimeno, what does that list of symptoms mean to him? He would say, well, that's a classic example of upper airway resistance syndrome, something we didn't know about in dentistry until just a few years ago. And um, it's been reported in another large study uh, done by a physician named Avram Gold uh, with hundreds of patients that over 50% of the patients they studied diagnosed with upper airway resistance syndrome, meaning I have hard time breathing through my nose, probably are breathing through the mouth. Um, over 50% had headaches. Uh, over 40% had irritable bowel syndrome. Over 50% were clinchers and grinders of their teeth, what we call bruxism. Um, over 30% experienced what they considered depression. Um, almost 50% experienced gastric reflux, where stomach acids are coming up at night. Uh, sometimes all the way up into the mouth, giving sort of a sour taste. When you look at these uh, young patients, uh, and I've seen hundreds now, here are some of the common things that we see in the mouth. We'll see things like a tongue tie, where the tongue is restricted and moving all the way to the roof of the mouth when you open wide and lift your tongue. That tongue tie is also going to affect breathing. Um, you'll see that the soft palate in the back of the throat sometimes is hidden where the uvula, that little punching bag in the back of your soft palate that you see hanging down, is obstructed because it's down behind the tongue, blocking the airway. And so you'll also see the upper and lower jaws are pushed back somewhat. Uh, we call that maxilla, the upper, and mandible, the lower uh, restriction or underdevelopment. Um, that's very common. Crowded teeth are very common. Impacted third molars are very common along with the crowding that we see. And so these are some of the things that we see in young adults. So if you are one or you know young adults that are struggling with sleep, that are tired and fatigued, that have frequent headaches, maybe neck aches, um, sore muscles in the jaw, then I would be thinking about 
Do they have trouble breathing through their nose? And secondly, are they clenching or grinding at, at night, which we really never understood what caused clenching or grinding in your sleep or even during the daytime. Now we are feeling and, and, and um, thinking that a large percentage of those people that clench and grind their teeth are really not just victims of bad habits, but are doing something that is purposeful, especially in sleep, to move the lower jaw forward in trying to open up the back of the throat airway and move the tongue forward to open up the back of the throat airway. And so grinding the teeth forward, even though it may damage the teeth, is actually helping to improve the oxygen levels. It's helping to improve the airway for breathing in such a way that it's necessary. And so the grinding is actually a purposeful habit of the body. It's a directed habit of the body for a purpose of opening the airway. It's like the body's doing CPR, you know, the chin lift uh, in sleep in order to keep breathing. And so clenching and grinding should be thought of as a possible sign of an airway obstruction during sleep. And anyone who clenches or grinds should have an overnight sleep study done. Uh, and today, as I'll mention, you can often do those in your own bed, doing it, what's called a home sleep test uh, that can be done in your own bed. You don't have to go to a hospital or a clinic uh, to do that study. So that's young adults. Uh, what about the middle-aged? We think of sleep apnea very often as sort of a overweight middle-aged man disease. The truth is sleep apnea is something that we see in all ages, even newborns. And so sleep apnea is simply where we stop breathing for 10 seconds or longer um, before taking uh, you know, a breath of air or gasping for air. And that's an abnormal uh, thing in the body that is a dysregulation of normal breathing. And a drop of oxygen will occur in the bloodstream that will then stimulate the release of stress hormones to speed up the heart, to deliver more oxygen. And that will cause also arousals from deep to lighter sleep. But in middle-aged adults, one of the things that we often see is not only a higher incidence of true sleep apnea, but we also see and have studied that this can affect something very important, and that is memory. And so we see now many middle-aged men and women coming in who are saying, I'm having a hard time really thinking clearly. I feel foggy in my thinking. Sometimes I'm forgetful. I'm wondering if I'm not developing early signs of dementia, maybe even, heaven forbid, um, uh, Alzheimer's in you know, our 50s. And what has been studied and found now is that when someone has an oxygen decrease through poor breathing, especially during sleep, that you get less oxygen delivery to the brain. And as a result of that, it will affect the integrity in multiple brain areas that impairs our ability to think. It, it affects our moods. It can affect our daytime alertness. In other words, it's literally doing brain damage. There's been studies that have shown that uh, neurotransmitters in the brain, which are very important for communication in the brain and for mood and and related to stresses and things that are going on in our bodies, um, that those get way out of balance with someone who doesn't get enough oxygen to the brain uh, through uh, something like sleep apnea. And so um, 
what has been very exciting is to see that in people who literally on scans of their brain are showing diminished um, integrity of their brain tissues, uh, they've been able to use such um, approaches like a CPAP, where you, you wear a device that forces oxygen in all night. But in studies with CPAP, they found that they can reverse this brain damage. They can reverse these memory issues, these depression-causing issues, these decision-making issues and stress issues uh, in the body by reoxygenating the brain properly. So this is very exciting that we have children that have ADHD-type symptoms that are often related to poor breathing and sleep that can be reversed. We have young adults that have TMD, facial pain, sore muscles, clenching and grinding, headaches, jaw joint pain, uh, neck pain that often can be reversed through uh, correcting the breathing problems. We have middle-aged adults who also experience the ADHD-like symptoms, but now thought of more as depression and poor cognition and poor memory and stress and, and poor concentration that can be reversed in many cases through getting the oxygen flowing again. I want to share with you how we evaluate these problems uh, or screen for these problems, and then also what's being done today for these problems. So screening um, has gotten more and more sophisticated, but also more and more simple. So in most dental offices uh, and physicians' offices, often they'll have a um, simple, looks like a wristwatch, and a little thing that goes on your finger called a high-resolution pulse oximetry. Uh, you are familiar with pulse oximetry from the hospital. So anyone who's admitted to the hospital usually has that little finger tag on there that's monitoring their oxygen levels. And you want your oxygen levels to remain above 90%. If you were in the hospital and it dropped below 90%, they would administer oxygen to you as long as it was low. But in sleep, what we find is this that normally your oxygen levels, meaning what we call oxygen saturation, should stay up in the 94, 96, 98% range while you're sleeping um, all night long. And your heart rate should stay down in the 50, 60 uh, beat range most of the night with a few exceptions where it'll go up, such as when you're dreaming. So you can put on a simple little wristwatch type of apparatus with a finger uh, connection uh, and sleep in your own bed and see are your oxygen levels dropping below 94, 92%, down below 90%, sometimes down below 85 or 80%, um, dropping and then rising up again, dropping and then rising up again over and over again all night. And along with that is the heart rate. So if your oxygen levels drop and you turn on stress hormones, then your heart rate will go up in response to those drops in oxygen levels. That increased heart rate will sort of cause almost an awakening from deeper sleep, as well as pumping more blood, which delivers more oxygen, which the body perceives is depleted. So if you see oxygen saturation levels going up and down, up and down during the night, and heart rate going up and down, up and down during the night, there's a very good chance that there's an airway, breathing, and um, sleep uh, disorder. Uh, you also can do a version of what's done in the hospital at home now. So you are aware of people that have gone to the hospital and they have what's called a 
polysomnogram. That's where you sleep on your back all night and they put about 20 wires on you and they monitor your sleeping all night long and all the functions of breathing and oxygen and heart rate and and all these things are monitored all night long to, to see what's going on. Well, that's the conventional, traditional way of studying uh, your sleep. Today, there are home versions of this, which uh, pick up about 10 of the tests that are being run in the hospital test, and you can do it in your own bed. It's a very simple little strap that goes around your chest. There's a something on your finger. There's something that may go under your nose. You can sleep on your side anywhere you normally sleep in any position, you can do that. And you can get a very, very accurate reading of what's going on in your sleep. Many physicians offices now uh, do home sleep tests. Many dental offices now that are studying airway and breathing and sleep are doing home sleep tests as well. And so, and then also there are many third party providers for um, home sleep testing that can be ordered and sent to your home. Uh, and you'll do a one or two night study and you can get the results interpreted by a sleep physician and know exactly what's going on uh, with sleep. So if you're somebody who wakes up tired, if you're someone who's tired during the day or sleepy, you don't feel rested, you don't feel sharp, you snore at night, um, that would be another red flag, then I would recommend that you definitely pursue with your physician or dentist uh, having a home sleep test, which is very simple very inexpensive, very accurate for screening and testing for uh, your your sleep. Uh, once a diagnosis is made, then decisions can be made about the best way to address this. And in the last few minutes, I just want to share with you just a brief overview of what's being done today for people with breathing and, and sleep issues. The first thing, of course, is to understand why is someone having a breathing problem? Uh, most often it's because of having difficulty breathing through the nose. So is it because of allergies? If so, then those allergies need to be addressed and, and corrected. Uh, could it be a deviated septum or other polyps in the nose or something that's blocking the, the flow of air through the nose and causing the conversion to mouth breathing? That would be something that you would look at with an ear, nose, and throat doctor just as you would have an allergist look at uh, allergy issues for allergy testing. So we want to know, is the upper airway, is the nasal airway open? Can you breathe through your nose freely and comfortably? Um, if that's true and someone's still breathing through their mouth, which is undesirable, then uh, we would have them uh, evaluated for uh for with a an oral myofunctional therapist that is a therapist that can help change a habit now of mouth breathing back into normal nasal breathing with the mouth closed and the tongue in the proper position during breathing and during swallowing another issue of course that would relate to ear nose and throat would be the back of the throat so if the back of the throat has become enlarged that is the tissues of the tonsils or in children adenoids as well uh, because of inflammation due to mouth breathing, then sometimes it would be a consideration to remove those swollen tissues. Um, but removal of, of uh, tonsils is not enough to correct this medical problem. Even though a child whose tonsils are removed will breathe much better, if they continue to breathe through their mouth, they can develop problems later that relate to sleep apnea and some of these issues. So it's very important not just to 
eliminate the the kinking in the in the breathing system, the blockage in the breathing system, but also make sure that the breathing system is operating properly. That is nasal breathing at all times, except after, you know, extreme exercise. Um, Then as far as treatment for blockages during sleep, well, a CPAP, which is a continuous positive air pressure, uh, like a, uh, uh, something that goes over your, your nose that, forces air through your breathing apparatus and into your lungs, that obviously will work. And that's been the gold standard through the years. Um, That is a management of airway problems. It does not cure an airway problem. The airway problem is still there. The breathing problem is still there. It's just making sure that you get ventilated through the night. Uh, Another thing that's become very popular over the last several years is a, an oral appliance that's made by dentists that goes in the mouth and moves the lower jaw forward and keeps it forward, moves the base of the tongue forward and keeps it forward in an effort to keep the back of the throat open all night long. So if the mouth is dropping open and back, if the tongue is dropping back against the back of the, uh, the airway and the back of the throat, then sure, that can block your breathing and, and obstruct it in such a way that can be uh, corrected through moving the lower jaw forward and the tongue forward. That's successful in our experience in about 70 to 80% of patients. So many people with mild sleep apnea or, or upper airway resistance syndrome are great candidates to use an oral appliance, and it can be very, very successful in treating that problem. CPAP and oral appliances, I would consider those management tools for a problem. It would be like if you had diabetes and we're going to give you a prescription. You're not curing diabetes, but you're trying to manage it that way. If we were trying to cure diabetes, we would think about is there way are there ways to change the lifestyle to reduce inflammation and improve that and we found that 90% of patients with type 2 diabetes can reverse it through changes in lifestyle, diet, nutrition, exercise, stop smoking, avoid toxins better sleep quality, and reduce stress. Well, the same is true for airway. We can force the airway uh, to be improved through CPAP, through oral appliances, uh, but we're not solving the problem. There also are implants that can be put in that stimulate the hypoglossal nerve under the tongue to move when when it begins to drop back, the tongue begins to drop back. That's uh, much like a pacemaker that's put in your chest and turned on at night. It stimulates those muscles and prevents them from blocking the airway. That's another management tool or strategy for dealing with this. But if we wanted to reverse the problem, if we wanted to correct the problem, if we wanted to cure the problem of airway breathing and sleep, then we have to think about how can we keep the airway open all the time, during the day, during the night. The first question is, where is the blockage coming from? If it's coming from the nose, then... If that's where the blockage to breathing is occurring, then the cure would be to correct the obstruction in the nose. And then if mouth breathing is present, get the mouth closed and begin breathing normally through the nose again. If the tonsils and adenoids are blocking it, you could remove those and then close the mouth and retrain breathing through the nose. If the, if the, uh, if the mouth is too small for the tongue, uh, then now we're looking at different things that can be done 
from a kind of a dental medical perspective, meaning dental solutions for a medical problem. So one thing that some are doing is if the jaw is set back too far, where the, the jaw on the top and bottom are blocking the airway because the, the bones themselves are too far back, then doing surgery on the upper and lower jaw to move the jaw forward will open up the airway in a tremendous way and, and almost inevitably will recreate a normal airway and normal breathing and, and solve the problem. The other thing that's also being addressed is expanding the dental arches, opening out the dental arches and giving a bigger, I think of it as like a garage for the tongue. So if the tongue is crowded because the dental arches are too small, narrow and, and, and crooked, then if we expand the dental arches out, move, move the, the teeth forward as well as wider and give the tongue more room to live in, uh, then very often that will improve the airway in the back of the throat. So we address upper airway problems in the nose. We address posterior airway problems like in the back of the throat. We address oral airway problems like crowding of the arches in the, in the mouth that crowd out the tongue and force it back uh, to create more room in all those different ways. So those are some of the things that we're beginning to do more and more today as we study these problems that we're finding are more and more and more prevalent. So I hope this has been a good overview for you. I hope you're thinking of someone like either yourself or your spouse or your child or your patient um, that is having some of the signs or symptoms that we've been describing and that you'll pursue going ahead and evaluating these things like allergies, evaluating things like airway issues in the, no in the nose, evaluating air, uh, issues like mouth breathing and how that brings dirty air right into the respiratory tract, evaluating things like dental arches that are crowded, tongues that are tongue-tied, um, some of these issues, improper tongue position, and um, how these things can create a multitude of problems that can be there not only in young children, not only in young adults, not only in middle-aged adults, but throughout our lifetime. It can become more and more complicated unless these problems are addressed. So I hope this has been helpful to you. Give us some feedback on other questions you have. We're going to bring in other experts uh, to talk to us about their work and what they're doing in their clinics and their research around the world as we continue uh, asking why about these medical issues that are so important to all of us as we seek to experience optimal health. So until next time, thank you for listening in. I hope this is always informative to you. We're passionate about sharing with you these things so that you can implement them in your own lives, in your family, in your community, and in your practices. So until next time, uh, thanks for listening in. <music>